Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Chapter 1, uh, it's page 1011 in the Red Bible. As you turn there, I uh, just wanted to let you know, this past week my family got to go on vacation. Uh, it was wonderful. Originally we were going to go to California, but everything is shut down there, and uh, you can't stay at a hotel unless you lie to them, so we decided not to go there. And uh, we were thinking about going to Austin, Texas. Uh, really glad we didn't do that. If you know, uh, Texas is a disaster right now, um, and so we ended up in Miami Uh, which was just, it was amazing, sunny, uh, record heat temperatures, not trying to make you jealous, just saying it was wonderful. Um, And I say that because I just want to thank God for you, uh, because back in November, you gave a pastoral appreciation gift for us to go on vacation. We went, and it was, it's just so good for my soul. Um, I'm a Southern Belle, and so going south is really good for me. And so I just want to thank God for you, uh, because I don't know how many occupations people Uh, give you donations to go on vacation. And I realize we don't deserve it, but we are very appreciative of it. So uh, also just thankful for the staff uh, doing a great job while I'm away. The church didn't burn down, uh, but I did find lots of matches in Jason's office. So I'm a little bit concerned for the future. Uh, Today's passage, we're going to focus on uh, the authority and the glory of God's word. And so we're going to give you good workout today. I uh, would like if you are able to stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, when I finish reading God's word, I, would, uh, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you are in agreement, uh, respond, thanks be to God. All right. So James chapter one, verses 21 through 27. This is the God of the universe speaking to you. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we 
do thank you that you did not leave us to our own minds to figure out what is right and wrong, but by your grace, your abounding grace, you have spoken to us through your word. Thank you for not abandoning us to our own incompetencies, but giving us your glorious word. We thank you for that. May you teach us through it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may go ahead and be seated. As I mentioned to you, uh, this past week we went to Florida and it was amazing. Um, when, when we were getting ready to go, we, we uh, booked tickets on an airplane, which is new for my kids. They never been on an airplane before. And I know that there are very specific directions on the size of baggage you can bring on the plane. And so I brought the bags out, I measured them, make sure we had them all set. And then I created a spreadsheet. Uh, I heart spreadsheets. I love Excel spreadsheets. I put together this spreadsheet of a Florida packing list. I think we have a picture of it there. And you can see I have the different things that the kids needed to pack in their personal bags, t-shirt, socks, you know, PJs, shorts, beach towel, things like that. And, and I put it there so that they could check it off and we could make sure that we had everything in the bag. As you can tell, mom really doesn't like to play along with dad's spreadsheets, but that's okay. Uh, she still packed her things. She checked the list. She assured me of this. But I sat down with the kids and I said, okay, kids, like this is the spreadsheet. This is the bag. These are the things you need to pack. And then this is how you check it off. And this is what you do. And the kids were great about it. But imagine if, Imagine if child number one uh, comes up to me and say, oh, Father, your words and your commands are right and good. But I've prayed about this. And the Holy Spirit has led me to not pack for the trip. Imagine if child number two responds, oh, Father, I love your words. I'm going to commit them to memory and recite them again and again for myself and for others. And yet that child does not pack their bag. Imagine child number three says, oh, Father, how wonderful your commands are. I delight in them. I will, I will write a song about your commands and your words, and I will gather my friends, and we will sing them over and over and over again. But that child does not pack their bag. And then the fourth child responds, oh, Father, I do not fully understand why I need to pack a hat or two packs of socks or two pairs of socks or a cinch sack, but I know that you have traveled before. I know that you may know a little bit more than I do, and I know that you love me and care for me, so I will pack my bag. Let me ask, which of those children will I be most pleased with? James 1, in today's passage is, is often described as the summary passage for the book of James. And in it, James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. This isn't a suggestion, this isn't a principle, this is a command. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. If you've been here a while, you know that an emphasis for us here at Jakesville Church is expository preaching. We love to teach through the Bible, let the Bible guide our main points and our sub points. We want to teach the word. 
Uh, whenever we have a new song here at Jake's Well Church, it has to go through the elders to make sure it is consistent with the word of God. We have women doing a Bible in a year program. We have people memorizing the book of James. In our community groups, people are studying the Bible. We are a Bible-believing, Bible-singing, Bible-memorizing congregation. And I love that, and I don't want to change anything about that. But all of it, James says, is worthless if we do not do what the Bible tells us to do. Can I be honest with you? I struggle to obey the Bible in many ways. Let me give you one. Did you know that it is much easier to go on vacation with three kids instead of four? Much easier and much cheaper. Don't get me wrong, I went trade my fourth kid for the world, but it is much easier when you go to book a hotel room to book a hotel room for five people instead of six people. When you book for six people, it narrows down uh, the hotel rooms you can purchase as well as drives up the costs. And so it is tempting for me to lie about how many people are in my family when I'm booking a vacation because I can get a cheaper hotel room and I can get the hotel room I want or to rent a car, right? If I could just squeeze four kids in the back of a, of a, you know, of a, of a Yugo, then, then it will be a lot cheaper than if I purchase, if I rent a minivan. Uh, even at the hotel we went to, uh, they said, you know, the first four people are free. The next two people cost an extra $100 each to stay here. And so what I do is I start justifying my disobedience. I say things like, you know, the world is against large families, but God is not against large families. I say things like, you know, large families have, have more expenditures, so they have less money, and now they're being exploited. I'll say, you know, the people at the hotel, they really don't care how many people are in our room. They only put this because of fire code. My flesh is a master at trying to find loopholes in the scriptures when I don't like what the scriptures say. The scriptures say, do not bear false testimony. It says, do not steal, and yet I, I'm, so, I'm so tempted to do both those, and I have done those in the past. I'm curious, what biblical commands do you justify not obeying? Would it be God's commands about purity, about submission, about the Lord's day, about forgiving your enemy? What is this command of scripture that when you come, you say, I, I, I don't want to hear a sermon about that. Well, with this in mind, uh, for your sake and for mine and for really the church, Pastor James not only tells us to be doers of the word, but he also provides us the motivation, the motivation to be doers of the word, especially, especially when we don't like what God's word says, especially when we don't want to obey what God's word commands. And so from this passage, uh, we're going to answer three questions. Number one, who should be doers of the word? Number two, why should we be doers of the word? And number three, how should we be doers of the word? So who, why, and how should we be doers of the word? First, who should be doers of the word? Now, the simple answer to this is everybody. All of humanity should be doers of the word because the word is good. As we'll read later, it is perfect. It is wonderful. It is a law of liberty. It is good for us to live according to the scriptures. I know of a family that are not Christians or were not at the time, but were very obedient to many of the laws of God. And because of that, they were a very happy family. The law of God is good. It is rich. It is pure. And so everybody should do it. 
But in this passage, James says, especially Christians should do it. We have extra motivation to obey the scriptures when we don't want to. And he starts by telling us this in verse 21. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Last week, Jason defined meekness as self-subduing gentleness plus a mind disposed to learn without disputing. And so James is encouraging us to receive the implanted word with meekness, without disputing the word. Now in this verse, James reminds us that the word has power. James says the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And so he's saying, listen, this word that through the Holy Spirit has the power to save your souls also has the power to sanctify your souls. Now I know sanctify is a big word. Sanctify means to be conformed into the image of Jesus, to become righteous, to, 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 make, to make your actions match what the scriptures say. Okay, that's what sanctification he says. He says that this that has power to save you through the Holy Spirit has the power to sanctify you through the Holy Spirit. James continues in verse 22. And he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You know, there's a lot of people in this world that will try to deceive you and you can often sniff it out. I don't know about you, I get telemarketer calls several times a day. It's easy to tell when they're trying to deceive you, you just, you know, hang up on them. But, but, the, but the hardest deception is self-deception because not only are you being lied to, you don't even know you're being lied to and you're lying to yourself. And James is saying, listen, if you hear the word but do not do the word, you are lying to yourself. You are deceived when you choose not to obey God's word. James then gives us this illustration in verse 23. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and, it, and at once forgets what he was like. You know, it's, it's interesting because um, my affection for mirrors has changed over the years. Uh, when I was a teenager, uh, skinny and buff, I liked mirrors a lot. Uh, matter of fact, I probably liked mirrors too much when I was a teenager. Nowadays, I don't like mirrors all that much, to be honest with you. Uh, really, uh, mirrors are just a necessity to make sure I don't have something in my teeth or, or make sure I, I shaved every part that I was supposed to shave and things like that. And, and mirrors have become less attractive to me. And the reason why mirrors are less attractive to me is because mirrors never lie. Mirrors are brutally honest. You know, several weeks ago, I had a shaving accident in which I shaved my whole face. And my kid said, Daddy, your face looks fat right? But my wife, who's nicer, is like, I think you look nice, right? And people at church, I think you look nice. Like, my wife can lie to me. You can lie to me. A mirror never lies to me. A mirror tells me exactly what I look like. And it says in the same way here in verse 25, which we'll get to, it says that for the Christian, God's word, God's word is a mirror. It's a mirror, not for you physically, but for you spiritually. A mirror shows you you, with brutal but also wonderful honesty. Brutal honesty in this way. The scriptures show you your sin. 
that's the brutal, brutal honest part about it, right? You, you look into the scriptures and it, it's an x-ray, it's a mirror to your soul. It shows you the sin in your soul, okay? But it's also a wonderful mirror. And this is what James is getting at. He's not getting to the brutal part, but the wonderful part. Because a mirror not only shows you the sin of your soul, but, a, but, but the mirror of the Bible also shows you who you are. It reminds you of here you, who you are. Look at verse 24 with me again very closely, because this is really, really important. It says, for he looks at himself and goes away, talking about looking in the mirror, and at once forgets what he was like. Notice it does not say forgets what he looks like. It doesn't say that. It says it forgets what he was like. It's a tricky, tricky Greek in there, but the ASV and King James Version translate it this way. He forgetteth the manner of man he was. Or a more literal translation is he forgets what quality of man he was. In other words, he forgets his identity. And so, so here it is. So when I look in a mirror, uh, of course, I see the blemishes and all of those things. But I'm also reminded that I am a human being. I am reminded of my identity. I am a human being. I am not a dog. I'm not a fish. I'm not a bird. I am a human being. I know that when I look into a mirror. And, and, and so what James is saying is, if you go away and you forget that, so, so knowing that I'm a human being, I don't go and eat dog food, right? I, I don't go to, to the roof of my house and try to fly like a bird, because I'm not a bird, I'm a human being. I don't jump into the ocean and try to live under the ocean like a fish, because I'm not a fish. I'm a human being. And what James is saying here is that the mirror of the scriptures, which are brutally honest about our sin, are also brutally wonderful to show us our identity. And, and so this mirror of the Bible tells you who you are. And this is so, so important to understanding what James is saying. And so let me tell you what this mirror reflects about you, okay? If you are a Christian, if you trust in Christ for your salvation, verse 21 says that you are saved ones. Verse 19, you are beloved brothers and sisters. This is talking about you. Verse 1, you are servants of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, you are exalted ones in Christ. Verse 17, you are recipients of good and every perfect gift from God. John 1, you are children of God. 1 Corinthians 6, you are temples of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, you are a new creation. God is not talking about the people around you. He's talking about you. 1 Corinthians 6. Temples of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, a new creation. 1 Peter 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. Ephesians 2, you are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus. Let these things pour over your soul. This is what the mirror says about who you are. Genesis 1, you are an image bearer of God. Romans 8, you are more than conquerors. Philippians 3, you are citizens of heaven. Ephesians 1, you are forgiven. John 15, you are chosen ones. Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. 1 John 3, you are the beloved. Romans 5, you are justified. Ephesians 2, you are alive and resurrected in Christ. Ephesians 5, you are the bride of Christ. 1 Corinthians and many other places, the mirror of the Bible says that in Jesus Christ, you are saints. You are holy ones. And what James is saying is when you look in the mirror of the Bible, remember who you are. You are a saint. And if you go and live in a way that isn't saintly, isn't holy, then you are forgetting who you are. You are forgetting what you saw in the mirror. You are forgetting your identity. 
And so who should be doers of the word of God? Really, everyone should be because this is, this is perfect. It's wonderful. It's great. As we will see, it's, it's the best way to live. But especially Christians who have been saved through the word by the power of the Holy Spirit should know that the power also is to sanctify us. Because this is a mirror that tells us of who we are. And, and now God says, go, go be you. Go be you. Go be who you are. You are saints. Go be saints. So that's the first question. Who should be doers of the word? The second question, why should we be doers of the word? Well, we already said it's because it, it's consistent with our identity in Christ. It's, it's who we are. Uh, but James moves on not to so much focus on uh, our identity, but really the identity of the scriptures itself. So look with me at verse 25. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres. Remember that word perseveres because it takes perseverance to obey the word of God. It is hard to do. But who perseveres, being not hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Uh, in this passage, James tells us really three things about the identity of the, the word. And I'll try to go through them pretty quickly. First off, he says, the word is perfect. Okay, verse 25, look there again. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law. By the word law, he's also talking about the scriptures, the word. They're kind of, they're used synonymously. But what's interesting here in verse 25 is he uses this words looks into uh, in a way that means to, to study. To, to stoop down and look closely at, to, to, really, to really marvel at it. It's, it's the same term that's used in the resurrection account when the apostles get to the tomb and they look down in the tomb. They, they stoop down to look into, study the tomb. And so this isn't how you look at cars that drive past you every day. This is how you look at a car that you're getting ready to buy. You're studying it very closely, understanding every single part of it. It's the same way that we should come to the scriptures, not simply to glance at it, but to stoop down, to look at it, to study it closely. And he calls it the perfect law. This is the word teleos, which means that it is complete. It is finished. It is without error. That means nowhere in the Bible did God make a mistake. Every part of this is inerrant. It is without error. It is infallible. There's an article that came out two months ago uh, and it's titled this, Thomas Jefferson tried to, quote, fix the Bible, and he only succeeded in making it sad. Uh, it goes on and says that the third president attempts to revise scripture, offers a warning about our own tendency to edit the truth. It's just written by Daniel Silman, and he says this, Jefferson, who wrote the immortal words of the Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, took for himself the liberty of editing the Gospels. He cut them up using a sharp knife to excise what he saw, the problematic parts of the sacred text. I think we might even have a picture up here for you of a, of a picture of a, of a Bible that he had. And he goes on and says, Jefferson, like many at the time, shed his Orthodox Christianity in stages. He started by doubting the Trinity, then Old Testament miracles, then new. The article goes on to say that Jefferson edited the text. This is so important. Jefferson edited the text because he did not want the text to edit his life. He edited the Bible because he didn't want the Bible to edit, it, 
edit his life. It turns out he was in an extramarital affair, and he didn't want any conviction about that. And so he edited the Bible so that the Bible would not edit his life. You know, we may not edit the scriptures physically by cutting things out, but we edit it in our hearts. And so let me ask, do you believe that this is holy, inspired, inerrant word of God? If so, then we must obey every part of it because it is the word of God for our good. But if you say, no, there are some parts that are not inerrant, they're not inspired, then you are left to another authority. And that authority is you. <laughs> and that's a scary authority in your life. And so, so, so when we have the Bible, we can come to it in two ways. We can come to it standing over the scriptures as authority over the scriptures, say, this is what I like about the Bible. This is what I don't like. I'm gonna obey this. I'm not gonna obey that. Or we can take the scriptures and put it above us and say, Lord, let me not edit your word, but let your word edit my life. And this is what James is telling us, that we must allow the perfect word to transform imperfect people and not the other way around, okay? So why should we be doers of the word? First, because the word is perfect and we are not. Secondly, the word is liberty. Verse 21 goes on, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now, law and liberty seem like oppositional ideas to us in our mind, don't we? I mean, doesn't it? I mean, it's like, you know, there's speed limits. That's a law. We don't like the law. It's restraining us from the liberty of going as fast as we want. There's a law that we have to pay taxes. It restrains us from the liberty of keeping all the money that we want, right? And so law and liberty don't seem to go together. But for God, law and liberty always goes together. Jason was telling me, Jason Fulian was telling me about his, he was visiting his sister-in-law. And, uh, and his sister-in-law has kids, and, and she put on a, a boiling hot pot water, uh, a kettle of water, and she told the kids, do not touch this kettle of water, right? And she laid down the law. She was very firm. Do not touch this kettle of water. For the kids, or at least for one kid, that was a law of slavery, of bondage. Mom doesn't want me to discover what's so great about this kettle, and so he reached up, he grabbed the kettle, he pulled it down upon himself and burned his arm and had to go to the hospital. We do the same thing so often. I can't tell you how many people stand in authority over God's word and says, God's word is not liberty, it is slavery. And they, they, they burn themselves, right? I can't tell you how many people say, listen, I married the wrong person, but, but the Bible, uh, I know it says I shouldn't get divorced, but really, God doesn't want my, my happiness. He wants, he wants bondage. So I'm going to go do what I want. I'm going to go find the right person. And then they burn themselves and they burn their family. There's plenty of people who say, you know, uh, the Bible says don't get drunk. But, you know, I'm, I mean, I like getting drunk sometimes. So I'm just going to get drunk. And, and then what happens is they burn themselves and they burn their family. It, the list goes on and on and on. Really, anything in the Bible that we disobey, we pull that kettle down upon ourselves and we burn ourselves. Because God's law is always a law of freedom, of liberty. It's not of bondage. And so we should obey God's word because it is a law of liberty because it is perfect. And finally, it's because it is blessedness. Verse 25 says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres. Again, that word is so important because it, is, it takes perseverance to obey God's word, especially when you get tired of obeying God's word. It says, being not hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now we've mentioned this before, but this word blessed means happy. 
right? He will be happy in his doing, not in a superficial happiness, but in a happiness in the Lord. You know, if that child had obeyed the mom, it would have spared him some agony, some pain. It would, it would have had more happiness in his life. Jesus says something very similar. Jesus says, blessed or happy rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it, and keep it. Not just hear it, but also keep it. There is a blessedness in obeying God's word and being in, in sweet communion with Christ and walking in the light and obeying what he tells us to do. And so according to Pastor James, here are your options. You can either deceive yourselves and be a hearer of the word, not a doer of the word, or you can bless yourself by not just hearing God's word, but also doing God's word, even when you don't agree with God's word or you struggle to agree with God's word. And so just to recap, who should, who should be doers of the word? Really, everybody should be, but especially Christians who know the power of the word. And why should we be doers of the word? Because the word is glorious. It is perfect. It is liberty. And it is a blessing. Final thing, how should we be doers of the word? Here James gets very practical. Uh, by no means is he being exhaustive here, uh, but I think he's focusing in on certain topics, application of God's word uh, from the Old Testament that were specific to his audience, but are also specific to us today. And so uh, three quick things that he says here, we should be doers of the word verbally. Verse 26, he says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but to seize his heart, this person's religion is worthless. <laughs> That's powerful. His religion is worthless. If you don't know what a bridle is, again, I think I got a picture up here. A bridle is that thing that goes over a horse's uh, face, nose. I don't know what it's called. But anyways, it goes over that, and that's how you steer the rest of the horses through that bridle, right? And what he's saying is that if your religion is powerful, if your religion is saving, if your religion is sanctifying, it should transform how you talk. It should transform how you talk to your wife, to your husband, to your kids, to your parents, to your neighbor, even to your enemy. It should transform the way you talk. Now, James talks a lot more about this in chapter three, and so we'll get more into it there. But here he says that your religion should change. Uh, we should be doers of the word verbally. He says, or your religion is worthless. This worthless means powerless, right? You, you have an impotent religion. Your religion has no power to do anything or even to save if it does not transform your words. Secondly, we see here, and I know there's a lot, we should be doers of the word charitably. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Orphans and widows of that day were the most vulnerable group of people. Uh, they were oppressed, they were often helpless, and so, and it's still true today. And so James says, you should not just give money to these people, you should visit them. You should form relationships with them. You should love them. You should care for them. There are many vulnerable people in our world today. There are probably vulnerable people even in your neighborhood uh, who are fatherless, who are handicapped, who are maybe racial minorities or elderly or mentally ill, or there's other groups of people that are often pushed away from others. And James says, listen, true religion that has power forces us to engage and to love those who are marginalized in our world. That's one reason I'm so thankful for the calling that God has on Jason and Lisa's life. 
Um, you know, uh, Jason does a great job here. And I've told others, I'm like, man, I would be so tempted to woo Jason to stay at Jake's World Church because he does such a great job at what he is doing. But Jason and Lisa have been called by God to go and to care for orphans, to expand uh, the borders uh, of the orphanage there to care for more children. And this is the heart of God, to care for orphans. Now, when we care for orphans, when we care for widows, when we care for those who are marginalized, it always comes at a cost. For them, it will cost them probably finances, comfort of America. There's a lot of cost to it for them. But there's also cost to us. But a, but a religion that is powerful, a religion that can save us, is a religion that will transform us to care for those that no one else is caring for because God has cared for us. We should be doers of the word verbally, charitably, finally, purely. He says, and to keep oneself unstained from this world. This means that true religion not only works to reverse the curse out there, but also in here. Uh, one, one preacher said, you know, Christians often uh, focus on one of these. Either they focus on social transformation or personal transformation, but many Christians don't focus on both. And yet James says that we must focus on transformation of both through the word. This is what true religion causes us to do. And so we must not only try to change the helpless estate of others, but we also must seek to put to death our own sin, to mortify it. John Owen, uh, who wrote a book called Mortification of Sin, a book that probably nobody wants to read, but everybody should read, uh, says this, he says, the choicest believer who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin ought yet to make it their business all their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at whilst you be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. And this is so important. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. You've probably heard me say this before. I am not so concerned about Christians who struggle with sin. I'm very concerned, sorry, I'm not so concerned about Christians who struggle with sin, but I'm very concerned about sins, Christians who don't struggle with sin. Because if you do not struggle with sins, it means you have either overestimated your holiness or you have underestimated God's holiness, probably both. And so we must be killing sin or sin will be killing us. And so we should be doers of the word verbally, charitably, but also purely. Let me end with this. There's a, there's a businessman uh, who was well known for his ruthless uh, business tactics. And one time he came up to Mark Twain and he said to Mark Twain, before I die, I mean to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. He says, I will climb Mount Sinai and read the Ten Commandments aloud at the top of Mount Sinai. And Mark Twain replied, I have a better idea. You could stay in Boston and keep them. <laughs> and keep the Ten Commandments. Don't just preach them, keep them. Friends, the more we stoop down to study God's word, a mirror for our souls, and, and the more we see who we are, the more we also see our sin and how much we deserve the wrath of God. But the good news that is in this word is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus, who is the word, obeyed the word perfectly without fault. 
all the way to the cross where he took on our disobedience to God's word and suffered the wrath that we deserve, but then rose on the third day to give us a new life so that now when we look at the mirror of the scriptures, we, need, we now see that our sin no longer defines us because our new identity is as saved ones, as beloved ones, and as holy ones in Christ. Friends, if you want to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. If you want to stop deceiving yourself, if you want to be happy in Jesus, James says this, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess that we often hear but not do your word. And some of us have, and we all have different struggles and where we, we struggle to obey your word. And, and Lord, through your word, we come today confessing that that is bondage. It's not freedom. And so God, help us to obey your word more fully. Uh, God, I'm, I'm so thankful that through your word, you don't just pull back the curtain on all of our sin right away. It would probably probably put us to death just in, in fear and terror, Lord. But, but you gradually pull back the curtain on our sin so that you can liberate us from that sin, Lord, through your perfect word and your Holy Spirit. And so God, pray that you would be at work through your word, that we would be a people of the word that would not just stoop down to study it closely, but that we would be a people who seek to obey it, to, to mortify our sin and to live in the freedom that you have given us in Christ. And so Lord, we pray that you would help us in this way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.